Well, you know what I think. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to deny that. I do want everyone to feel comfortable. That's why I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. Please do not go religious. Somebody's going to hell over there. He better not. Even the devil will speak the truth for, for his own purposes. This is war. Accept it. Back to Jerusalem podcast. Yeah, I'm back and I'm armed with righteousness. With your host, Eugene Bach. He just seems like he's got it all figured out. He's a righteous dude. Yep. Hello and welcome to another Back to Jerusalem podcast. I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, and I'm coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of Sweden. And I have a guest with me that, you know, I've met him a, a, a couple times and uh, we've done some podcasts together and I've really enjoyed my time with him. Uh, he's been active on Facebook. He and his family have a really interesting ministry that I follow. And uh, I saw a podcast that he did. I asked him to come on and join us and share a little bit more about that podcast because I found it super intriguing and I think you will as well. Hey, brother, you still there? I'm here. Great. Thank you so much for joining us. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me, Eugene. You know, it's uh, it's very interesting when uh, I was following your podcast and, and kind of saw this subject, um, I, I wanted to call and... Um, do something together with you where you could, you know, not redo your podcast. I think if people want to hear your podcast, they should go to your podcast. Um, I'm wanting to compliment your podcast, not necessarily, you know, take people away from your podcast. But gotcha. uh, you cover a lot of really good things. I mean, you and your family are, are doing amazing things in ministry. You guys travel around the U.S. You minister in different churches, different states, different communities. Uh, you guys have really been sold out for bringing the light of Christ to different areas. And, and I, I just want to say you guys are an inspiration. I love it. I love what you guys are doing. And I love what you stand for. Amen. Well, thank you. It's, it's mutual. And uh, just for people that have not, you know, they've never heard of, of you before, they don't know who Carl Gessler is, could you share a little bit about who you are, what your ministry is, and a, and a bit about your background? Yeah, I, um, I, I identify a lot with the Chinese house churches because I, ha I was um, raised in a home with two parents who came, uh, who came to the Lord through the Jesus movement. My dad came from like a Catholic background and my mom from like a fundamentalist uh, background, but they, um, they raised us in home. Uh, we were, I was born at home, homeschooled, worked with my dad and uh, we did church at home. Um, we, it, that sounds extremely sheltered. It wasn't as <laughs> sheltered as all that, but yeah, you know what, um, just really quick. I think this is really interesting. You're the second person I've talked to on our podcast whose family was directly impacted by the Jesus movement. It's amazing how many people, even today in the year 2020, long after uh, Pastor Chuck has passed away, are still benefiting and, and have histories where their families have blessed the next generation because of what happened during the Jesus movement. Yeah, I think it was a genuine touch of the Holy Spirit that... Uh, you, you can't you can't mimic that you can't fake it and it uh, it lasts but um yeah so i was raised in in uh, that kind of nonconformist setting and so to this day my ministry i'm not i never I, I, once i graduated my 12 years of homeschooling i never went to college um but i started leading worship at 18 and i was uh taught to read the bible every day and in my adult life i've only increased that and so I'm a um, independent missionary in the sense of uh, just 
I, I don't have any kind of official backing or denominational label or anything. I just serve Jesus. And I've done that in many different denominations. I'm not anti-establishment, but I um, don't wait for the establishment to um, give me their stamp of approval before I do know what the Lord has already called me to do. And I think that's a big part of of what uh, the uniqueness of our ministry uh, in that I have six kids of my own now and uh, my wife and I and them that our oldest is 10. So they're all younger than that. But they still wow, um, six kids yeah. between the ages of zero and 10. Correct. That is a busy life that is that is you are cranking them out brother we're trying to keep up with the muslims <laughs> yeah that is i mean they, you guys didn't even stop to rest that is that is like <laughs> one right after the other that's almost within the nine month period you know consecutive one right after the other congratulations i'm jealous um oh, well, i i you. only have two uh we decided my wife and i decided to stop at two just because of our lifestyle, one in which we are always on the road. We are all, we are very very mobile, um, and uh, moving around in different countries on a regular basis. Living in sure. Hong Kong, where space is limited, and um, and price for living is very high. So we decided to stop it too. That that worked for us and being on the mission field. But I have to say, there was something inside of me that I yeah I envy you and your wife. Um, we would have loved to have more kids now that both of our kids are our 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 oldest is now away in university our youngest is in his last year of high school uh we're feeling lonely i mean we we love each other we're still in love we it's it's amazing to have the date nights and the alone time that we have these days but there's something <laughs> there's something in us it's like it would have been so much nicer to have more kids around us so yeah uh, awesome kudos to you guys well, thank you. And the kids are uh, a central part of our traveling ministry because they actually play music with me. They, uh, the four oldest, sing and play uh, the drums and keyboard and violin. And so well, we did that deliberately so that it's not <laughs> daddy going around the country and dragging the family along, but us as a family going. And so... And that's, that's awesome. That's you also employ them quite a bit in your videos. You do home videos with your family that are just really powerful. And in, in your family plays a part in those videos, which I love. It's this it's this unity and and ministry together that I yeah, I just I really love how you're planting those seeds uh, into your children to become spiritual warriors for the future. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. And that planting seeds is exactly it. It's a, that's what our vlog is about. That's that's part of it. As we travel, we video because we want to inspire other people, especially Americans, because we've become so institutionalized as far as the way the church functions. And this year with COVID has really exposed this, that we need we need parishioners. We need normal people. We need everyday people to be active in ministry. And that's what we're trying to motivate people to just do what the Lord is calling you to do instead of waiting till somebody gives you their uh, their stamp of approval. You know, if you know the Lord has called you to do something, He's He He will give you what you need to get it done, and that's what we're trying to um, exemplify uh, in our vlogs and and uh, and then in the podcast, we're just kind of talking about our thinking behind a lot a lot of these things. Yeah, and you know you. You said you were talking a little bit about the music. That music is available on, I believe, on YouTube, but it's also available on your website as well, where you guys are just blessing people by 
playing your music. I am, um, again, I'm going to admit my, my jealousy and my earthly envy. Uh, my, uh, my oldest son plays the banjo and, uh, my youngest son does the drums and some keyboard and my wife does keyboard. And I always try to convince my youngest to play the violin or if you will, the fiddle, uh, to go along with my son's banjo. And, um, gotcha. he just never did. So how you were able to get your daughter to play the violin, it's like one of the most wonderful there one time we had this um we had this mission trip to china where we brought a uh, a team of worshipers together with us and one of the young ladies brought a fiddle and during prayer time in the hotel room in the morning she decided to break out her fiddle and just start playing it while we were praying i never <clears throat> wanted to pray without the fiddle again it was yeah. so amazing. It's well, one of the most beautiful. Yes, I, if uh, I'm from, I'm living in the Appalachian Mountains. So, uh, if you're playing the fiddle, I doubt she was playing the fiddle. She was probably playing the violin. She was playing the violin. Because, yes. See, yeah, the only difference between the violin and the fiddle is how you play it. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> okay. Yes. You would have been toe tapping and square dancing. If, yes, if she, she was, was playing, playing the, fiddle. the fiddle. She was playing classical uh, with the fiddle. And so gotcha. she was going really deep, kind of beautiful, classical, Bachish, yeah. Beethovenish type of music. Uh, definitely, you're more educated, you know, symphony player. But gotcha. um, yeah, I just, <laughs> you know, I I didn't grow up in Appalachia. I didn't grow up in the South. Um, I grew up in the Midwest in a farming area. And we still call it the fiddle. So I, um, I, I well, we I, call it the fiddle here, but that's just, it's like, it's how you play it. If you're playing classical, it's a violin. And then you, and then it turns into the fiddle as soon as you start with the, the mountain music. Got it. Got it. And yeah. I, and, and that's what happens when you add a violin to the banjo. Uh, Got, the, yeah, the, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, my son, I think was the only banjo player in all of Hong Kong for, you know, the time that we lived there. And uh, now he is in Vermont and he just started a bluegrass band at his university. He's going to a military college. And, uh, and so he just brought in a banjo and yeah, it's, uh, I, I love what God has done with your family. I love the musical aspect, the ministry aspect, the family aspect. It's just, it's been really powerful. And in one of your episodes, um, you started to talk about, uh, the parables of Christ. And I I thought that this was really powerful because it's something, and, and I don't have an agenda here. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't have an agenda. I don't have laid out questions. I just kind of wanted to pick your brain if that's okay. And I just, I wanted to have a real kind of coffee table discussion about the parables of Christ. And, and, and just to hear your take on, you know, why Jesus didn't just speak straight out why he didn't just give rule books why didn't he you know he say okay step one this step two this because sometimes parables can be you know for some of us they can be a little confusing and you ask the question you know were they supposed to be confusing did did jesus want to confuse um Mm -hmm. his, his disciples or the people that that followed him and uh, yeah, so I mean, what is your what 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 is your take on the parables of Christ? 
Yeah, so I, I've learned a lot by reading uh, people a lot smarter than me. Uh, that, and I, then I've had the audacity to talk about things that I think I've learned. <laughs> but uh, I've, I've read a lot of N.T. Wright and um, his writings has really helped me just contextualize a lot of the things that just didn't really make sense in the Bible. Um, and one of those things is, yeah, like if the aims of Jesus, so we assume, and I always assume that, you know, the point of the Bible, the point of the gospels is to tell people how to get to heaven when they die. And so why would Jesus go around telling a parable that, uh, about in this case, um, he was talking about the, the, I think we were talking about Mark four and the parable of the sower and, uh, the, the seeds that get choked out. And he says that, um, he was, he was speaking this and some people weren't understanding and the disciples were asking for an explanation. And he said, uh, I'm going to just go ahead and read it here. So I don't uh, misquote it, but he says, uh, to you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, they get everything in parables so that seeing, uh, they may see and not perceive. And while hearing, they may hear and not understand. Otherwise they might return and be forgiven. And I've always heard that in the context of, of Calvinism, like, um, you know, the people that God wants to save will understand and those he doesn't want to save won't understand. And that, of course, never sat, sat well with me. Um, but coming to understand that Jesus, what, you know, as it says in Mark one fifteen, Jesus came preaching the gospel. Now, Mark one fifteen is the very beginning. Jesus hasn't told anyone he's going to die, much less rise from the dead. And even if he did, no one at that point would have comprehended it. And yet he said, it says in Mark one fifteen, Jesus himself came preaching the gospel. And then it says what that gospel was. The kingdom of God is at hand. Uh, and so when I just re- restructure my um, context for reading, you know, Jesus's parables to understand this is about God's rule and reign breaking into the world, um, it, it makes these parables make a whole lot more sense. It also makes sense that Jesus might not want everyone to understand what he's saying because what he's doing is actually very political. And that, like I even saying that, I'm aware that I know a bunch of Christians, many Christians, are their hair is going to bristle because we're, we're always told you're not supposed to be political. At least, at least part of our culture is saying Christians are not supposed to be uh, political. And yet I think Jesus was being very political. I don't know how you can claim Jesus is Lord and not be political. Um, yeah, I, you said something very interesting here, which I, I just want to pause on for a minute, if that's okay. You you were talking about you know the things of heaven not really being discernible or understandable, and um, and I, I don't know how much you've read about Tertullian, uh, but he was one of the early church fathers from Carthage, from Africa. Um, kind of one of the individuals that is that is well known for kind of shaping our idea of the Trinity. Um, he actually made it a policy that he would not debate anybody uh, about the Bible unless they were Christian, because he felt very strongly that unless the Spirit has spoken to you about scriptures, you're ignorant of what I'm even talking about. And it is not possible for your earthly mind to reach the concepts that I'm speaking of because you have not been 
um, baptized in the Spirit or or uh, brought to an understanding by the Holy Ghost. That was kind of, um, in one way, an extreme view. But yeah. I mean, can, can you understand where he's coming from? Because, I, I mean, I can't a bit. I, I'm not saying that I agree with it, but I'm not saying that I don't agree with it. Like, I don't know where I stand on that. I'm like, okay, this yeah. is, this is, this is a very interesting stance that you just don't hear today at all. I don't know of anybody today that says you can't speak about biblical concepts with people that don't believe in the Bible because it takes the Holy Spirit to reveal to you the secrets of God and they don't have that. Therefore, what I say to them is only going to anger them or it's only going to um, fall on uh, 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 bad soil because they're not going to be able to grasp concepts. And um, yeah, uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I I have a problem with that because if that was true, then how could a non-believer pick up a bible read it and then be born again Mm. you know the the holy spirit has to be able to communicate through that scripture to that person who's not yet regenerated you know um it's not it it basically that sounds to me and i have not read truly and so i'm just going off what you just shared with me but it sounds to me like um the only people then who could read the bible are people who are already christians yeah, he. Uh, so I, you know, I do not represent Tertullian uh, belief. So I, I'm, I'm not a person to defend or attack his theology. But from what I understand, his idea was he would not debate. So he shared with gotcha. those that that could not that did. I mean, he was an amazing evangelist and preached to areas that had never heard the gospel before, um, and was a big proponent of evangelism. What he was against was uh, because. He grew up in a Greek society where you had to philosophically defend your religious belief, and they were surrounded by so many gods and goddesses. And that that's my thinking of his uh, theology. Again, um, gotcha. I, I, the reason I wanted to I, I wanted to throw that out there is because you start talking when when we start talking about the. Um, uh, teachings of the bible that come from these parables um it yeah are are these secrets that are supposed to be confusing for those that are not um uh baptized in the spirit or listening to the holy spirit or reading the bible with an open heart or are these supposed to be open to everybody do the parables make things more simple or do they make things more complicated I think the parables are actually uh, very, they, they are meant to be understood. I think that we should imagine them in the context of a press conference. Like, imagine President Trump in a press conference. You know that every question aimed at him is loaded and attempt, attempting to get him to say something that can be used as a soundbite to incriminate him. And so uh, when you're when Jesus is in this public um, debate, which is, you know, as I understand it, that there's in that honor shame culture in the Middle East, you know, the, these are teachers having a debate. And if you shame the other one, you win, you know, and, and they're trying to, uh, the Pharisees are trying to um, get Jesus in trouble. And uh, you probably will appreciate, you probably have heard this story, but I think it was Watchman Nee or, or someone like that. It was a, a Chinese uh, church leader a long time ago who was 
supposed to preach, and he knew that there were communist uh, plants in in the uh, auditorium or wherever it was he was speaking. I sound like a Westerner in an auditorium, but wherever he was speaking. And uh, he knew that they were waiting for him to say something that they could interpret as being against the government. And he took a, um, he brought a, a chalice or a, a glass, uh, a wine glass, something of uh, a, a beautiful glass. And instead of saying anything, he just walked out onto the stage and looked at the glass, observed it, and, uh, you know, to accentuate its beauty. And then all of a sudden he threw it on the ground, stepped on it, smashed it into a million pieces and scattered it all over the floor. And then he walked off the stage and the plants in there who were looking for a soundbite to take back to get him arrested had no idea what he was talking about, but the church did. The church understood that he was talking about the church and its beauty, God's treasure, and that through the persecution, he was spreading them far and wide uh, across the country. That, that was understood and it was meant to be understood, but the wrong ears were meant to be confused. And I think that's a, that's a beautiful example of what Jesus is doing in his parables. It's so that those who have ears to hear, those who actually want to understand, those who actually are seeking the truth and not seeking to get rid of someone they find inconvenient, they do understand. But those who are simply looking for a way to incriminate someone who they know is innocent, they're going to be confused. I love that um, because that that is actually an analogy that I think many of our listeners may not be that happy with, but that is exactly what is happening with a lot of the interviews. I never thought about that before, that uh, if you read how the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the high priests were trying to trap Jesus, they didn't ask him questions for knowledge. They, right. they, they were not asking him to learn. They weren't asking him so that they could better their understanding. Like you said, they were asking specifically to entrap. And I've never made that connection before that whenever President Trump does a press conference, for the most part, I mean, there might be some honest reporters that are trying to find information to um, you know, aid their journalism. But there are a lot of people, whether you like Trump or you don't like Trump, I think you have to concede that the majority of questions that are asked of him during press conferences are meant not to get information, but to have him trip up in his answer so that they can smash him. Right. Yeah. And all presidents face that. Yes. And every, all, uh, every candidate for office faces that. Yes, absolutely. Every candidate for office faces that. Some, some have, uh, you know, and, and Trump has this as well. Some have... Uh, friendly journalists that ask you softball questions. Again, those questions are not meant to get information. They're meant to lob up a subject that they know that you're going to hit out of the ballpark. They're, yeah. that's, they're meant to lob, put up a, a subject that they know is going to highlight your strengths. And, um, and, and so, yeah, I think that that's a really great way of, of looking at it that, um, you know, there are times where, uh, we see the parables as a way of demonstrating knowledge to his followers and at the same time, maybe not giving the right information to the enemies. Yeah. I think you can see that in another example too. When, when Jesus talks about divorce, a lot of times 
um, we read that as if like Jesus all of a sudden decided to, hey, let's talk about divorce. You know, some people today will say, well, Jesus never spoke against homosexuality as if Jesus just went around talking about ethical questions and giving his once and for all answer. And I think that's just simply not understanding the context of Jesus's own mission, his own purpose uh, in, you know, the Jewish specific first century specific context that he was in. So that when Jesus is talking about divorce, the reason that comes up is because when he is in the same area where John the Baptist got beheaded for saying that Herod's behavior in marrying his immoral behavior in marrying his brother's wife proves that King Herod is not the Messiah that he was claiming to be. Like this is stuff that I learned through N.T. Wright as well. Uh, but it's, you know, Herod, the reason he was, spent so much time on the temple was because the true king, uh, according to the scriptures, would be someone who would restore the temple. So he was trying to beautify the temple to legitimate his claim to be Israel's king in the eyes of the people. And John the Baptist wasn't having any of it, saying, well, no one who would, uh, no one who marries his brother's wife and flaunts the Torah like that could possibly be God's anointed. And of course, he gets his head cut off. And so what do they ask Jesus when he comes into that area? So what do you think about divorce? You know, that they're trying to get him in trouble with Herod. You know, that's, I think, when I, when I discovered this stuff, it's like, wow, this is exciting, edgy material rather than a boring, uh, you know, moral teacher walking around saying moral things everywhere. Yeah, you know, I've never heard of N.T. Wright before, but I will definitely be reading his 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 writings because what you just said, I've never heard before. What okay. you just what you just said about that question towards Jesus is a completely new. And there's going to be a lot of people that hear this and be very disappointed in my lack of knowledge in the Bible. But brother, this is why I love doing these podcasts with, with people like you is because I learn from them. And right. in this situation, you know, I've, I, if I were to read the story of Jesus answering the question about divorce, and I've read it many times and I've actually applied it many times, not just in sermons, but also in counseling. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where I've looked at the direct message, but have never really considered the environment or the age or the, the context. Um, when we learn more about the context of the, the day and time and setting of what Jesus said, why he said it, who he said it to, it really does come alive in ways like, holy cow, I never knew that before. And that's that's kind of what you just did to me right now. Well, that's awesome. I, I think that's why I do the podcast, because I, I discovered these things and I'm like, people need to know this. And one of the reasons I have not gone through seminary, I think I would, I would enjoy, I mean, the right seminary. The, one of the problems is that I'm not denominational, so <laughs> I don't know which... I, I could never figure out, well, which one would I, which one would I go in? I don't, I have no idea. I think I would get in trouble in all of them. So, uh, I don't know. I'm just trying to read the Bible, just trying to follow Jesus the best I can. And this is, this is what makes sense to me. But you, um, sometimes in seminaries, you are simply, uh, produced to be another one of our denominational members, but you're not actually made to just dig into the Bible and apply what you find there. You're actually just, you're just become a product 
Uh, at least that's my perception. Of course, like I said, I haven't done it, so maybe I'm wrong. I'm, I'm, I'm sure there are good schools out there, and it's just maybe not my calling to do that. But I do believe that we have so much information available to us now through um, through the wealth of writings, through the technology, you know, podcasts um, that we can, and, and certainly by just absorbing ourselves in the scriptures and asking honest questions, we can learn a whole lot um, just as normal people. Yeah, I mean, when you think, because, all right, so I, you know, I did go through seminary and the seminary that I did not come up from a Christian family. So seminary benefited me a lot Uh, during my, during my understudies. um, I was learning things about the Bible that my wife laughed at because she grew up in a Christian home and it was just, it was basic knowledge for her. So for, for me, seminary taught me a lot of the fundamentals that I probably could have learned for free as a kid, but because I never went to Sunday school, I did not grow up in a church. I did not grow up in a Christian family. The things that I learned in seminary were absolutely essential for me as a new believer. But I really do believe that the things that I learned in seminary, I could have probably learned with, you know, a dollar fifty cents in late fees at the library, um, had I really been uh, engaged in wanting to learn from God's word. And we see that from the disciples, the very individuals that in seminary you are studying from, none of them had a proper higher education, uh, or not in the, not in a, a theological sense. None of them were, were, uh, Judaic scribes. None of them were, uh, considered to be, uh, Ju- uh, uh, uh Jewish, uh, leaders uh, for the temple, or uh, they they were not they did not carry any clerical responsibilities. And a- as someone that has gone through seminary, um, I would not discourage anybody from going through it. But I also would not uh, attack anybody that has never gone through it uh, to that that wants to be in full time ministry. I don't believe that a degree is a requirement for full-time ministry. In fact, I think that it can be harmful. Studies have shown that the more uh, edu- uh, formal education you have in theology, the less likely you are to be evangelical, meaning that the higher you are in your education, the more you spend time debating scriptures with other Christians, right. which is it such... It becomes theory. It be- yeah, it becomes theory, and, and it becomes circular, Circular in the way that you're sharing, you're debating with people, you're splitting atoms with individuals that already know the truth. Meanwhile, there's an entire world out there that has not even heard the essence of the good news. And, and, And so studies have shown that the higher you go in biblical education, the less likely you are to pursue a career or a lifestyle or a vision to preach to those that have never heard. So I, I mean, I, I think that there can be probably, that can be dissected a little bit more, but if we come back to the kind of the heart of what your podcast was about, um, when we read the pod or when we read the, um, the, the, the stories of Jesus uh, and the parables, um, why do you think there are, is so much if if they were so clear if they communicated so simply if if the purpose of those parables were not to confuse why do you think so many people are confused if the if the the purpose of those 
um, parables was to simplify a heavenly message. Why do you think so many people disagree? When I say people, I'm talking about Christians. Why is it that so many Christians disagree on some of the very the most basic fundamentals of Christian teaching? Yeah, I don't. I don't actually think that they are meant to simplify heavenly principles or heavenly teaching. They were meant to explain what Jesus Himself was doing, which, like the meaning of it, what what is he, what does He think He's doing, and that was revolutionary to the disciples themselves, even though they had thrown their lot in with Jesus. And just to tie into what we were saying, even about seminary, the disciples were not the the highest educated people in their community, but what they did have was a an intense knowledge of the scriptures, the the Old Testament, the Torah. And they, they had solid um, ideas in their minds of what God's kingdom would look like when it would come, what, what God himself would do. And they had seen enough in Jesus through his healing uh, power, the authority that he had carried, that they believed that, this, that God really is with this man, okay. that his, his Holy Spirit is on this man doing work through him. Uh, say, they saw enough of that to throw in their lot with him. But still, Jesus was, you know, if, if we aren't surprised when we see who God actually is, as opposed to what we imagined him to be, then, uh, I mean, then you must be God. You know, <laughs> like, there's going to be surprises. And I think uh, when Jesus, when the disciples were observing Jesus, they were constantly surprised by what Jesus was doing. I want to I, um, I want to take a pause there because I really I think that 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 is a really important characteristic of the followers that I think that sometimes we me and not just we I, I like to say we because it kind of makes my sin more diluted if I can share it with others. But um, you said something really powerful, which is that it, if Christ, if revelation, or I'm going to paraphrase it, if revelation doesn't surprise us, if revelation fulfills our own ideas of who the Messiah is rather than being surprised and overwhelmed or, or blown away, then, you know, we must be, we must be God. I, I think that that's really powerful because there are so many times where I feel like I've got it now. I know who Jesus is. I know exactly who he is. And in fact, if you disagree with me, it's because you're stupid, you're wrong, and you're sinful. And if you want to know the right way to God, take a seat, listen to me, and I'll tell you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think that that is such a prideful way to look at Christ. And what you're saying is that Christ was not exactly what his disciples thought he was. Right. But he was enough of what they thought, of what they expected to recognize him as being, embodying the God of Israel. Like that was, that ultimately was what they they concluded about Jesus was that he actually embodied the God that they had worshipped in the temple. And they, to the, to the extent that they actually, when the temple was destroyed, they were actually okay with it because they knew that they had become the temple of God. Like that is that's revolutionary uh, like that the, to um, to draw that conclusion to begin to worship Jesus as you used to worship Yahweh in the temple gathering together and worshiping Jesus that's a that's a huge 
leap, yet they, they had seen enough in Jesus that was consistent with the God of Israel, uh, their expectations of what the God of Israel would do that they um, they were able to follow him. So, I mean, like there's this, there's a surprise about Jesus and, and the way um, he's representing God to them, like, well, we didn't expect that. But there has to be also a recognition of um, something we recognize if we're going to uh, follow him as well. Do, does that make sense, or am I just no, no, no? It, ab- it absolutely does. Um, I I want to I want to step up um, it, 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 something a little bit. I want to I want to throw you a pitch and that's not so much of a softball, and just and, and see where which direction you hit it because I'm interested. Um, we see that Jesus spoke in parables, and he did it several times, and he did it oftentimes to not just teach heavenly concepts to his disciples, but to also share with them what to expect in the future. In fact, whenever I sit down and read the New Testament, especially through the Synoptic Gospels, I'm always amazed at how many times Jesus actually tells his disciples that he is going to be crucified. And he says it in several ways. He alludes to it in several ways. And yet when he is, the disciples are surprised. Like, they're, they're not only surprised, but they scatter. Uh, Jesus says to Peter that he will deny him. Jesus says to Judas that he will betray him. Jesus says that he will uh, die and rise again on the third day. Um, if speaking in parables was supposed to be so revealing and, and to simplify ideas and concepts, why is it the disciples were so confused when cru- the time for crucifixion came? Yeah, um, I can feel the water getting hotter. <laughs> no, just also, no, know that I'm not asking for a perfect question here. I'm just honestly, like these are questions that I ask myself so that I can dig deeper into God's word because I know that there's an answer there. I've, I've been walking with Christ long enough to trust an honest question of him. Uh, I, I, have, I have security, if that makes sense, in my relationship with him where I can ask tough questions knowing that. I may not come up with the answer today, but Christ will answer that question in a way that will completely and absolutely uh, blow me away, but also bring about not doubt on his word, but confirmation of his word. And, uh, and, and I truly believe that the best way to learn uh, in God's word is to not... Uh, Ah, this is going to come out, and it's only because I don't have the words, okay? I'm just going to, I'll, I'll let you know that I I, I have not uh, sat down and really thought this through, but, uh, so I, 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 may not, I may take this back later, but Job questioned God, and God answered him. It, God, you know, God also shook his world and said, who, were you there when I measured the heavens and the earth and the oceans? Were you there? At the beginning of time, and Job was like, couldn't do anything, but oh God, you are amazing. But still, he allowed Job to have those questions. Yeah. Well, in answering your question about, you know, uh, the disciples not understanding about Jesus's crucifixion, even though he was telling them this is going to happen, I think it'd just be helpful just to back up a little bit uh, to, we have to understand 
the disciples' expectation of what what were they expecting out of a Messiah? Um, because again, we we have uh, kind of oversimplified the gospel to be about how I, as an individual, get into heaven when I die, and I think that would be almost a foreign concept to to the the disciples mm-hmm. um, because they. Uh, we're not the, the the story that they were living in was not how do we get off this planet and find a safe place for our souls, but it was Genesis one. God creates a good world. He says it's very good. Evil enters the world, but then in Abraham, God says, "In you and in your family, I'm going to bless." And I'm paraphrasing here. I'm going to bless everything that was cursed in Adam. You're, or I'm inferring there that that's that is the message of Genesis that Adam rebels doesn't trust God, sin enters the world, Abraham believes, does trust God, and the restoration begins. And so the expectation uh, that, that Israel was waiting for was for the God who lived in the temple to flood the entire creation with his glory as the waters cover the sea. And this, again, some of it, I don't know, I have no idea how you'll receive this, but in, in Genesis I believe, and uh, John Walton, um, who's a professor at Wheaton College, has some great stuff on this, describes, um, he, he argues that Genesis is deliberately describing the entire creation as God's cosmic temple. So that on six days, God works, and on the seventh day, he rests, not in the sense of taking a vacation and doing nothing, but in the sense of moving in. He moves in and takes his rest inside this house that he built. And the story of Israel is a story of restoration of God's good creation, that, that uh, God is coming to boot evil out and to establish his righteous rule and reign in, on the earth as it is in heaven. I mean, that's why Jesus tells us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. And so I believe that the disciples' expectation was for Jesus to come as king and, you know, of course, this is what I would think, too. He's going to beat the bad guys. He's going to establish his king, kingship. And, you know, like two of the disciples asked Jesus. So when that happens, can I be on your right hand and my brother be on your left? Like, we're ready. We're ready for that kind of kingdom. And Jesus says, you don't understand it. Because when I'm enthroned as king, there, there are two people already assigned to be on my right and my left. And he doesn't say this explicitly, but they find out. It's a, a two thieves who are crucified next to him. It's like, that's the way my kingdom is coming. Do you know what you're asking for? Because I don't think you do. And uh, they have this, so they have this anticipation of God setting up his rule and reign. Um, and they have this history of things like David and Goliath. Israel has an enemy that's way too big for them. And, and uh, the, the underdog wins by the power of God. There's the, you know, the story of Israel leaving Egypt, they're, they're the underdogs, they're slaves. How are they going to be delivered? Yet somehow they not only are delivered from Egypt, they go through the Red Sea and they loot Egypt on the way with all their, with all their gold and God, God makes a way. They're used to the underdog story. They've even seen the story of Judas Maccabeus who, um, with, you know, the, where we get the, the tradition of Hanukkah from where he was not um, supposed to be able to win the war against the Syrians and yet he somehow was able to drive out the Syrians and restore the temple. And so they're expecting Jesus to, to have some kind of battle to 
bring this bring about his kingdom and when jesus says stuff like we're going to jerusalem the son of man is going to be crucified and it's not clear the way jesus uses the, the phrase son of man sometimes if he means just like me you know or like is that the title of in daniel 7 there's one like a son of man who is seated on a throne next to yahweh you know so they could have taken that either way he says but the, as being like the messiah or um you know like us we're going up to jerusalem and they're going to uh, defeat us or it's going to look like we're defeated but we're going to rise up and win it in the end like we always do like like god always comes through for us in the past i think they understood it uh in that context that that i think that was their only way that they could process it because they couldn't imagine the messiah himself being killed but they could imagine we're going to go have a fight and it's going to look bad but ultimately we're going to win. I think they understood Jesus to be an apocalyptic prophet who would use that kind of language and they didn't really think he meant it literally. I, so that, I, that's I, a mouthful and a half. Yeah, no, no, I I I think that you took us down a very interesting road because I can picture myself in that situation. Um so many times I'm given revelation or new information but I am incapable of receiving it because I have my own ideas and my own ideas have shaped categories and boxes in which I deposit information. And if new information that I'm receiving does not fit in those predestined categories, then I throw it out. It, it passes right. right by me. But later on, when I find, you know, myself down a road a bit, I can realize that, oh, that was information that I didn't grasp, that I didn't know how important it was when I heard it because it did not fit my preconceptions. It did, it did not fit my ideas. And so I, I tend to agree with you that the disciples saw the Messiah as being a pro Jewish patriotic individual for the nation of Israel that would help Israel to shake off the shackles of slavery, stand up against the rulers of the world, and again become a prosperous kingdom like it was under the during the days of David. And I can understand that as a patriotic American where I can receive information from the Bible that agrees with my ideas of patriotism and maybe throw out other revelations that may not fit into my categories of Republican, Democrat, American, non-American, pro-Trump, pro-Biden kind of thing. I mean, if I, if I were to put myself in those same in that same situation, I could see someone giving me information, if you will, you know, I'm will die and rise again in three days. Um, and, and, and not really catching what's being said because I'm just so focused. I'm just so headstrong. I'm just so zoned in on what I already think I know. And so information that goes against what I think I know prevents me from learning something that's yeah. new and being shared with me yeah well just to add fuel to this fire i uh i watched a video which was actually from a catholic uh website called life site um and they talked about this prophecy that some guy um who had made who was just um i 
I don't know what you'd call him, a hermit. Or, he just gave his you life to You sinner. Prayer. You fat sinner. You're listening to Catholic. You know you're going to go to hell uh, listening to a Catholic channel. That is... Oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, go ahead. I, you may have seen it, but um, it was at night. I didn't see it. I don't watch Catholic channels. I'm a good Christian. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think you liked it when I posted it on Facebook. Oh, you got me. You got anyway, me. You I trapped did. me. I, this I've is a gotcha question. <laughs> I've, I've got the record. Uh, so in this, in this video, they talk about this man who spent all his time in prayer. And in 1983, he told somebody that um, he believed that there was a man in America who's God, God's hand was on him, and he was going to bring America back to God. And he said, and his name is Donald J. Trump. And this was in 1983. And I know, like, as soon as these words leave my mouth, um, you know, fireworks, uh, there are some people who are going to be like, yes, absolutely. That's absolutely true. And other people are like, that is anathema. That is the worst <laughs> thing you could possibly say. And all the reason we act react that way is because... We, we have our own definite ideas of how God should be doing things. But what he actually does in the end, uh, you know, in the end, in this case, I just mean like what happens, you know, what we see ultimately happen. We might all be surprised in all sorts of different ways. And even of the things that I'm sharing today, uh, some I'm sure some of your listeners will recognize the name of N.T. Wright. He's one of the world's most renowned uh, scholars right now, Christian scholars. And uh, some people, like if you are a John MacArthur fan and you heard me say N.T. Wright, you automatically don't like me. <laughs> because <laughs> uh, John MacArthur is not a fan of N.T. Wright. And so uh, there's like, you know, these, this tug and go. And, and I, I have learned a tremendous amount from him. Uh, but I also disagree with him at some points. And I think that um, the Chinese church, and which is one of the reasons why I love listening to your podcast, is uh, the way they live life okay. without all the information that, that I have access to, but the devotion, the commitment to Jesus himself, the person that they know, more than the theology that they think about, they know the person. I want more Westerners who read, who have access to huge books by N.T. Wright and other people. I want them to know these people who know nothing virtually and yet have the power of God on them. And I think that both sides might be surprised to learn that Jesus is at work in both of our lives and we could actually learn from each other. It doesn't mean that we should not point out errors in each other's thinking or, or in our, our living at all, but actually that we should come together in order that we can refine our critique of one another to be more accurate. Yeah, I think that, that this is so important in our day and age because it promotes understanding. It promotes um, our, our I, I believe that it promotes a stronger relationship with Christ. Um, I think it promotes unity in the body of Christ. I mean, I don't think you or I, correct me if, if you disagree, but I don't think you or I are promoting the idea of, you know, trying to find unity where where we can you know go to church with one another with someone from uh, the eastern lightning cult um i right. don't think that you or i are ready to give up the essentials of salvation um and promote um the 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 
the Mormon Church on being as an, on an equal footing of on our understanding of Christianity. Um, however, within the broad spectrum of Baptists, um, it, it, uh, even Catholics, Protestants, you know, worldwide within the Lutheran Church, within the the um, the uh, so many different churches. I'm I'm kind of drawing a blank right here, but. Um, my point is, is that there are so many different denominations that we pick, nitpick, and, uh, and end up causing division with one another when there can be so much gained from learning from one another and, uh, and, and listening to one another, understanding one another, coming to a common grace with one another. Um, so I, I think what you just said was, is absolutely essential uh, for, you know, even for people like me, you know, when I bring in people to speak at the underground house church meetings inside of China, nobody is asking what de denomination they're from. Nobody is asking, you know, their, their ideas on A, B, or C. Um, the, the Chinese leaders, if they hear something wrong, they'll stop it and be like, wait a minute, this is not good. I've been there. I've, I've witnessed it. I, I've been in uncomfortable situations where somebody's gone off a little bit and the Chinese will, you know, leaders, the shepherds will say, we need to talk about this. Um, but denominations are being in a denominational world really doesn't play a part on the mission field. It can't. We're too small. We, we're too fragmented. We're too attacked. We're too much in a survival mode. We don't enjoy the luxury of minutia and debates about meaningless things. Yeah. And so it, that, that concept, one of the things that I enjoy about being together with the church in struggle is that the things that don't matter take a back seat and the things that do matter become front and center. And, uh, and I, I, you know, I love that. I absolutely enjoy that. I appreciate that. Not that I appreciate the hardship, not that I appreciate the persecution, not that I appreciate seeing persecution against my brothers and sisters when I'm not being persecuted at all, um, but I do enjoy the product. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I podcast, I love the podcast, and I uh, could do that all the time, except that that's not really fulfilling to only do that because, um, you know, there are there are people that have great thoughts, um, and I, from reading Richard Wormbrand's books too, I know of, of his in, encounters with people, very educated people in prison, um, who were celebrated Christian poets and, and preachers, but who broke down in prison uh, in really dramatic ways. Um, that it's not it's not enough to pursue intellectual. Um, information, it has to be applied information, which is why we travel as well as doing the podcast, because I don't want to just talk about these things that we think about. I want to live them out. And I think it's in living them we find out how much they're really true. I was interested recently because I listened on the Voice of the Martyrs podcast to an interview with uh, Andrew Brunson, who actually, um, his family lives not far from me here in North Carolina. But he, uh, he, he's a Presbyterian by denomination, uh, the same denomination where I am employed to lead worship. And uh, he 
um, he talked about his struggle in prison and he talked about how he, he struggled with depression and it was actually an act of the will. He, he used this language. He said it was an act of the will. I had to choose and will myself to rejoice and to praise God in that situation and to hope. Uh, and I just thought it was really, um, I guess it brought me pleasure to hear a Presbyterian who's supposed to be a Calvinist talking about being having to employ his will in order to win this battle. And I think that's a great example of when your theory actually meets the road, what you find out you have to do. Yeah, I absolutely love that. I think for those of you that are listening to this podcast and don't know who Andrew Branson is, he is the individual who was put in jail because of his faith in Turkey. Spent some time there. We actually did a live Facebook post, believe it or not, together with Brother Yun while he was in under house arrest in Turkey. And, uh, and, and yeah, he, he, I remember seeing him get on his knees, lay his hands on President Donald Trump in the Oval Office and lead everybody in the room into prayer in the name of the Holy Spirit. That was, that was, um, phenomenal to me. I want to thank you so much, uh, brother, for coming on, sharing with us. I think that this was a very beneficial uh, podcast. Um, I really love your insight. I love benefiting from the amount of time that you spend in prayer and uh, before the throne. Uh, I think that we as listeners for this podcast are going to be uh, better for it. Um, yeah, it just it's been it's been a real joy having you with us. Thank you so much for having me, Eugene, and thank you for all you do. And if I could say, uh, just if people want to find out more about our ministry, they can find the vlog, the music, the podcast, everything on our website, which is thegospelforplanetearth.com or carlgessler.com. I'm not sure which one's easier to spell because I'm, I have German roots, so it's Carl with a K. <laughs> and, and so, uh, but, uh, but I would love to connect uh, with folks, so. Yes, Appreciate I you. would highly encourage you guys to go to Carl's website. Um, I'm there right now. You can you can uh, Google the Gospel for the Planet Earth. And that will come up with a link for Carl and his family. Or like he said, you can go to carlgessler.com. That's K-A-R-L-G-E-S-S-L-E-R.com, carlgessler.com. Carl, thank you so much, brother, for being with us. Thank you, Eugene. God bless you. God bless you. And thank you so much for joining us for another Back to Jerusalem podcast. Again, I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, and I'm coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of Sweden. God bless. Mm-hmm.